This is John Floridus. Welcome to Musicians Spotlight. As part of our Honor, Hope, and Healing Week, we're featuring two archived programs with distinct and unique guests who left us in 2020, but who left an indelible impression on the music community and beyond. In the second half hour, we'll showcase the great jazz pianist and educator Ellis Marsalis. But first off, we take a look back at our visit with the talented singer-songwriter and purveyor of Honest Americana Stories, Justin Towns Earl. Help high on the seat, red back, blue black. She should be driving something long and black. All I'm asking you, brother, do you know the pretty little thing riding by in a champagne Corolla? I seen her around here just last night. Today she been back to
This is John Floridus. You're listening to Musicians Spotlight. I'm very pleased to be speaking today to Justin Towns. Earl, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. Great to get a chance to talk shop with you here on the program and just to set the stage for our listeners. We're having a conversation in an RV and uh, not just a random RV, but <laughs> an RV with a couple of horses as I look to my left here uh, in the pasture. This is at the Crown Guitar Festival in Big Fork as we are recording this in late August of 2018 and Justin will be a part of the festival and workshop. So a very pastoral setting uh, outside of the RV as we do this interview. JustinTownsEarl.com is the name of Justin's website and Kids in the Street is the name of the most recent project, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. Let's start right there with Kids in the Street because this is this is a pretty fresh project. Well, it's it's the most yeah it's the most recent record. I, I actually just made another record, but this one is the mo- the only one that's out right now. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it started my, all as all my records do. I've I've always been a writer who I believe in writing records and um. And so it, it it started with an idea of of mainly mainly just watching as I travel around the world the the uh, march of progress as optimists would call it uh, over gentrification of of cities hmm. uh, everywhere pretty much uh, is uh, I've, I've watched that and it's just kind of watching how um, it's kind of just you know that that well I guess it's that. Uh, that 35 year old record you, hmm. you know you first you you've that's the first time i think you <clears throat> you look back and you see that every everything actually you know not just a few things are gone from where you grew up everything's gone from where you grew up uh, pretty much you know and when you say writing as a record you mean like writing as an album in other words a set of yeah a set of, yeah it's not it's like a my records are always concept records in a sense like they're not a concept record in the same sense that um white mansions or um the red-headed stranger or something like that is a concept record Mm -hmm. but um they're they're definitely they have a a theme that that, that runs throughout them Mm -hmm. for sure when when it comes to the writing of the material is is it a matter of you accumulate a group of songs and then say, oh, this seems to be a theme in this, and then put that together, or is it more like, okay, I'm going to put this forth, I'm going to write with this theme in mind, right, with the theme in mind, the yeah. Theme in mind. I think that it's very, it's taking kind of more of a narrative approach to it as a like almost like you're writing chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just real short, concise chapters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know that you tour like quite a bit in oh, fact, yeah. for a long time. So I'm assuming that a lot of this, from a lyrical standpoint, this is where a lot of the inspiration came from. Um, a lot of a lot of it does, and um, but I mean a lot of it too. It's like processing life, even just before, you know, I was 25 years old. It's kind of difficult sometimes. So mm-hmm. I'm still, you know, still my a lot of my songs are are based in. Um, uh, there's a good bit of personal and then a good bit of exterior. I think it's 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 very wise to mix the both because nobody yeah, wants that. nobody wants to hear a diary entry. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> um, there that can be that can be boring. So you have to find a way to kind of to use it with what you see around you. And what do you find is the best way to try to do that? To, to find that balance between you know um letting through the personal but not getting as you say it's turning into a here's my diary set to music well i think describing it as a thesis is the best way to go 
is to go about it because a thesis has to be something a subject that you're passionate about so you know something about it mm -hmm. um so you're able to break it down into a hard beginning middle and end <laughs> um and you're only you're using only the most pertinent um descriptive information mm -hmm. you're not you're not gonna you know if uh if a girl walks in in a in a you know in a pretty dress and you know or like say she has red lipstick on or something like that you know you don't need to describe you know her shape her color of her eyes even her something like that you know you can let everybody else put their girl behind that mm, red lipstick mm, yeah okay um and things like that so you can let get leave leave things open for people to to buy into what you're trying to sell in the corner by the door sitting all on her own she's been there all night long on the phone with her head laying down there in the screen light see the tears Place she could go. And 
No, she don't strike me As the helpless soul I just wonder What she's crying for Yeah, I wonder What she's crying for Just can we talk a little bit about Nashville and, and yeah. just kind of, you know, that's where you're from originally. Um, a lot of layers to Nashville for you, I'm sure. A lot of a lot of personal stuff that goes along with that and musical stuff. Let's maybe just kind of touch a little bit on, you know, you got into music very, very early as a player and also, as I recall, writing pretty early too. Am I right about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I started writing when I was 13. I started writing and then... Um, by the time I was, by the time I was fifteen, I was. I, I mean, I, I could see that I was starting to get some enough of a hold onto it to where I was convinced that it was something that I wanted to do. Um, a few songs that I wrote when I was fifteen ended up on my first and my first record. Um, songs like uh, "Halfway to Jackson" and "Ain't Glad I'm Leaving" and um, a lot of the bluesier stuff um that i wrote i wrote back then very few songs from back then made it <laughs> that mm -hmm. far you know given i started back then i started to have see little signs of it and uh the first time that like you know i played one of my songs for my dad and he didn't say you know good try but go back again <laughs> is that what he would say before that yeah yeah huh, no yeah. he was he was not he he didn't pull any he didn't pull any punches there was no there was no, you know, good job when it wasn't a good job, you know, from him at all, uh -huh. um, as far as songwriting was concerned, yeah. because it was, he, um, he was worried about me getting involved in this and doing this because of, just because I'm his kid. He mm -hmm. was, he thought that I would, I would be uh, pounced on or something like that. He always mm. told me, he was just like, you don't, you don't get to make bad records. That's what he used to always oh, say to me. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, if, if listeners don't know your father, Steve, Steve Earl. Yeah. Um, so that's a pretty significant moment. I was going to ask you, what was that moment where you realized, Hey, I think I'm on to something. And that's a, that sounds like maybe that was it when you, when you presented it to your dad and he didn't say nice try, go try it again. Yeah. I think I was more like 19 when I, he came and saw me play and I played one of my song, I played a song during the set. Uh, one of my songs, uh, Maria and, uh, after the show, he asked me what Elvis Cost that Elvis Costello song I played was, and I said I didn't play an Elvis Costello song, and he was like that Maria song, and I was like that's mine, and then so that was that was the wow. first time where I I tricked him. <laughs> and all that's it was, intense. Was a trick. That had to be really he, intense. Yeah, but that was that was definitely where I where I stopped, and I think at that point I quit wanting to be like the old timey player you know that i old-timey old blues guy that i was before and wanted to be more of a more of just an all-around songwriter hmm. you know and be able to write you know whatever i wanted to as opposed to get pigeonholed into one particular thing which is interesting because that's how i might describe elvis costello <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know yeah. Interesting, interesting yeah yeah that one that song happened to be like kind of the odd man out of a song of a bunch of like blues songs that i'd written there that i was writing during the period mm -hmm. so i think that it was uh it was just that one that tugged me out mm -hmm. of it you know mm -hmm. the sun doesn't rise and set in the key <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
used to be I was the object of affection In your eyes alone But now it seems your heart has found a new direction And you're leaving me out in the cold So if you're gonna break my heart, go on and break it No, I don't need you no more I've tried so hard Now my will is breaking Baby, even though I still love you I remember when it used to make me happy Just to look into your eyes But now every time I try you're looking past me And I don't know why So baby you don't even gotta tell me No I already know So don't even say goodbye Just walk on past me I don't wanna hurt no more Not for you, Maria Anyway, I turn Know I can find a better way to I guess mama wasn't lying about the dangers that could be inside one's heart We're better off if we all remain strangers Stumbling through the dark Oh, Maria This is John Floridus. You're listening to Musicians Spotlight, and I'm speaking today with Justin Towns Earl. We are speaking to Justin in an RV in a beautiful pastoral pasture. I guess most pastures would be pastoral or most not. They could be boggy. <laughs> yeah, I guess they could be boggy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's a, a beautiful setting here in Big Fork as we are recording this in late August of 2018. Justin is part of the Crown Guitar Festival and Workshop. Justin, what I want to ask you about was uh, a quote from another interview I think I, I heard uh, on your website, maybe. Uh, and I like this. You describe yourself as not a walking on sunshine kind of guy. No. <laughs> and I wanted, and what if that was a direct reference to Katrina and the Waves, which maybe is for those of us of a certain age that remember oh, that, yeah. that tune. Or just, just, just talk a little bit about what that, what that meant for you. Um, well, it means that I'm not, um, it's mainly just the content of that, of that song. I mean, that's in it. It's an incredible track, but I, it's just the lyrics are, you know, I'm walking on sunshine, mm -hmm. it's time to feel good. And that's, I really just don't, you know, that's just not how people feel, you know, and that's, and that's what pop music's for, you sure. know, I think that there's certain music that, that is supposed to make people feel good. It doesn't necessarily have to be that out and out, but mm -hmm. I guess, you know, it's just there to make people feel yeah. good. Um, but um, I guess I subscribe more to what I call the George Jones theory is that you listen to george jones and you feel better when you listen to george jones because you know that he feels worse than you do hmm. 
you know <laughs> i kind of like i think yeah. I've, I've always written kind of in that in that kind of effect is mm-hmm. is to not uh try to i'm not I don't want to be anything to aspire to, but something to relate to. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Where do you find that balance between, this is a classic, you know, it's a little bit of a cliche thing to ask singer songwriters, but finding the balance between light and darkness, you know, as far as where you go with that, not only musically, but obviously lyrically. Um, yeah, I think that it's the, keeping somewhat of a a wry sense of humor when writing dark can um um a non nonchalantness about it not not being not like like you're dwelling on it or you're trying to convince anybody of anything or you know if you're if you want to be super dark you know be kind of be kind of blase about it and not as and not so intense about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I love sweet sounding songs that have dark, dark, that have dark messages. Mm-hmm. Um, old songs like the Knoxville girl and, and things like that, where, I mean, it's a beautiful song, it's, but it's, it's written about murder. <laughs> I mean, an actual terrible, brutal murder, you know, Yeah, <laughs> but it's incredible. It's beautiful. Just another quote that is, comes from your website, which uh, I'm going to have to paraphrase it a little bit. But it is a little more on the personal side, and I wanted to touch on it a little bit. At some point, you realized it just was not cool to die young, which is kind of a heavy thing to, to put forth. But I'm, I'm hoping it's okay to yeah. ask about that because I think it must come from a much more personal experience. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we, I, 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 it's, it's kind of, it seems to be lightening up in this next new you know, coming generation of musicians, the younger musicians, they don't seem so far to be as self-destructive as we were. Um, uh, because I think once again, it's, I came in young and so, and I've been doing it a long time. So it figured I got in on this last end of this free for all, Hmm. you know, where it was, you know, it's like when, when I started touring, if you wanted drugs, you asked the promoter, you didn't ask the sound guy. You called the promoter ahead of time and you said, we need these drugs mm-hmm. or the house guy. And they would always know where to get drugs. You know, it wasn't like, a, mm-hmm. it wasn't a thing where you were, you know, like these days, you know, luckily the guys aren't the, the, these kids coming up don't seem to be pushing it. Like we did. They, we've maybe, maybe one of the best accomplishments of of my generation of musicians is maybe convincing the next generation that they don't have to be, uh, they don't have to be screwed up to to write good songs mm-hmm. um, and things like that. Because I mean, I know great songwriters who are uh, so I mean aren't drinkers, aren't druggers, mm-hmm. and never have been. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, but I think that that was an uh, not an underlying, but an overlying myth to this. You know, it it it, clou- it, it hung over the head of of singer song musicians and singer songwriters mm-hmm. for years. You know. I think uh, this culture uh, glorifies excess to, um, and it doesn't matter if it's if it's you know, drugs, sex, mm-hmm. buying the Kardashians. You know, it's mm-hmm. like it's all everything to excess to yeah. excess. Uh, and if I may, I think one of the things that you mentioned in another interview was as as I think is the case for a lot of folks, a big page for you turned when you became a father. Yeah, definitely. I mean. I think that um, 
you know, I think that it's, it, it definitely, you know, for the first time, you know, first time in my life, I, I sometimes, you know, but I must admit only for a minute wish that I'd chosen another line of work, hmm. you know, but I know, I know I am I have a kid who I wouldn't be good for me to decide to change my line of work, to, mm-hmm. but I do start looking for ways to be at home a little bit more than I used to. Well, the Mississippi Delta is shining like a national guitar. I'm following the highway down the river through the cradle of the Civil War. I'm going to Graceland, Graceland, Memphis, Tennessee. I'm going to Graceland. Poor boy pilgrims with families and we are going to Graceland. My traveling companion, he's nine years old and he's the child of my first marriage. And I have a reason to believe we all be received in Graceland. And she comes back and tells me she's gone. As if I didn't know that, as if I didn't know my own best. As if I never noticed the way she combs her hair off her forehead And she says losing love is just a window in your heart Everybody sees you blown apart And everybody sees the wind blowing Oh, Graceland I'm going to Graceland Poor boy pilgrims with families And we are going to Graceland And my traveling companion He's ghosts in empty sockets I'm looking at ghosts of empties And I have reason to believe We all be received in Graceland Now there's a girl in New York City she calls herself a human trampoline Whenever I'm falling, flying, tumbling in turmoil I say, oh, so this is what she means and She means we're bouncing into Graceland and She says, losing love is just a window in your heart Everybody sees you blown apart Everybody sees the wind blowing Oh, Graceland I'm going to Graceland And I may be obliged to defend Every love, every ending Maybe there's no obligations now Reasons I cannot explain There's some part of me wants to see Graceland I'm going to Graceland. I'm going to Graceland. Going to Graceland. JustinTownsEarl.com is the name of Justin's website. It's a terrific website. Very, very uh, put together and uh, lots of great information there. Uh, Kids in the Street is the most recent album, but we're looking forward to a new release in May of 2019 or so. I think so, yeah. And do you have a working title or a... Not just yet. 
Not just, well, I do, but I'm not telling anybody yet. <laughs> not just yet might be a good yeah. <laughs> might be a good one right there. Uh, Justin, thanks so much for making time to chat with us here on Musician Spotlight. It's been great. Thanks for having me. Well, now I got this woman. She can treat me right. She just stay out drinking till the morning lights. And I'm bye-bye, baby, wherever you may be. That's right, Mom. Boy, you got them other men. Justin Towns Earl died on August 20th, 2020, at the way too young age of 38. We'll be back with the second half of our program, a look back at our visit with the great jazz musician Ellis Marsalis, here on Musicians Spotlight. Welcome back to Musicians Spotlight. The great jazz pianist Ellis Marsalis died on April 1st, 2020 at the age of 85. In the second half hour, we take a look back at our conversation with and the music of this patriarch of one of the most significant musical families of any era or any genre.
This is John Floridus. Welcome to Musician Spotlight. I'm very pleased to be speaking by phone today to Mr. Ellis Marsalis. It's great to speak with you, Ellis. Thank you. Thank you for the call. Yeah, and we are speaking to Ellis from his home in New Orleans, Louisiana. Ellis's music will, of course, be very familiar to a lot of our listeners, particularly those who are affectionados of jazz. His career as a pianist and composer goes back over 60 years and he is as well, if I may say, the patriarch of one of the most significant families in American music history, I would say, uh, with uh, six sons. A lot of folks know the, the ones who are the musicians, Branford and Winton and Ellis uh, III, uh, Delfio, and also uh, Mboya Kenyatta and Jason. And as well, of course, uh, Mr. Marsalis is very well known as a renowned music educator, and uh, certainly, you know, Harry Connick Jr. comes to mind, Terrence Blanchard, uh, some of the folks uh, that, that uh, listeners might know. But there's so, so many more uh, lives that you've reached as an educator. Uh, so your, <laughs> your reputation precedes you as you uh, join us here on, on, the, on the program. Um, Ellis, speaking of New Orleans, you've lived in New Orleans all your life, if I'm not mistaken. And I was born here. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to ask if you could take the listeners kind of back to New Orleans in your early years growing up and just talk about the city then, just some of the sights, the sounds, some of the things that you remember most about New Orleans when you were growing up. Well, uh, the first thing was getting old enough to become aware of the, the state segregation law, which limited physical mobility with people, music, musicians also, invariably watching that slowly go away to a point where I was able to One of the things that struck me in, in listening to another interview of yours online, and I don't know that, that folks would would know enough about the history of New Orleans to, to understand this, that when you were growing up, that kids got expelled from school for playing jazz. Am I correct? Uh, yeah. Mostly in universities, though. Oh, in the universities. Okay. Well, still, that's, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's a social statement. And I'm sure that there are people if they're old enough anyway, can relate their particular institute or institution to the same problem. I mean, there was such a heavy emphasis on European art music until jazz was a no-no. And and how, how have you seen that change over the years? Well, I think there's a pragmatic approach. For one thing, there are universities with music departments who need students just from their bottom line in terms mm. of uh, the budget that they get. So that means that jazz studies programs are beginning to mushroom, so to speak, more and more. But that is primarily the driving factor. But uh, the next thing is trying to synchronize a lot of the curriculum so that it reflects 
Ellis, I wanted to ask you this, too. You started on the tenor sax, is that correct? No, I started on the clarinet. On the clarinet? Oh, I beg your pardon. But then and then turned towards the, the tenor sax as an a instrument of concentration for a while, correct? Yeah, I got a tenor saxophone because the clarinet had been a, a primary staple in the early tradition of jazz. And by the time I came along, in the, in the popular music of the day, clarinet was sort of relegated to traditional New Orleans jazz. The recordings of the day of the artists, you know, people like Fast Domino and uh, local artists, when they, whenever they would go into a studio to make a recording, the tenor saxophone became the primary instrument used in those recording sessions. So uh, I got my mom to buy me a tenor so I could play with the rhythm and blues band. And were you playing piano this whole time, or was there a, a conscious switch to making piano more of your focus? Well, uh, in the early days, I would use the piano to learn songs, and I had somewhat of a, a homemade technique. But in my last year in high school, I was studying with a great piano teacher, classical piano teacher. It would later establish, in my own mind, the foundation for the the way that I'm playing today. I was fortunate to have a piano teacher who could help me to uh, learn how to play the instrument in a correct manner. Mm. Was when I got out of, uh, I went into the university as a clarinet major, and when I graduated, it was my intention to go back and study with this piano teacher. However, she had left town, so I couldn't do that. There were so many good tennis saxophone players in New Orleans. <laughs> Until I began to play piano more and more. This is John Floridas. You're listening to Musicians Spotlight. I'm speaking by phone today with Ellis Marsalis. Ellis, you have a tremendous sense of melody and phrasing when I hear you play. I just was listening to a clip online on your Facebook page, actually, of a performance. I think it was uh, fairly recently. Um, and it's a gorgeous ballad, and it's almost like listening to a singer when, you, particularly when you play the ballads, that your phrasing 
um, is is uh, it's just so uh, so exquisite. Do you feel that your your experience on sax and on on clarinet helps kind of inform that that sense of melody in your no, not really. It's mostly vocalist. I remember somebody asked Miles Davis once about who did he listen to from a vocal standpoint, and he said Frank Sinatra. You are because of the importance and the proliferation of words. Most of the songs that are referred to as standard were composed by very good musicians for Broadway musicals, and I say Broadway musicals because that was mostly where the musicals were initially performed. Those of us like me who didn't live in New York, we had to wait until the movie came out. Mm -hmm. But when the movie came out, then we could go and hear all of those melodies sung by, most of the time, by the same people who was on Broadway. But uh, I think basically it was was the the vocalist. Well, that makes sense as well. (laughs) Because what I said was it sounds sounds like I'm listening to a singer, the way that you, uh, the way you phrase melodies and stuff. It's just... Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's basically my primary influence. Oh, 
This is John Floridas. You're listening to Musicians Spotlight, and I'm speaking today with Ellis Marsalis, who's called us from New Orleans. And uh, this next question, Ellis, comes from one of our Montana Public Radio hosts, John Arvish, who hosts a program called What I Like About Jazz. And uh, he wants to know your opinion. This is like <laughs> the, the big question that I'm sure you get all the time. Uh, your take on the state of jazz in America today. Well, it's difficult to pin it down. You know, people like Duke Ellington didn't even like the term jazz, primarily because things changed so much. For example, anybody who would gravitate at any age towards listening to Louis Armstrong's Hot Five, you know, with the cornet and the clarinet and trombone, tuba and the drum set. Technology was difficult at best to record the drum set mm-hmm. in the 20s. So there was that to overcome. And But if you listen to that band, the Hot Five or the Hot Seven, and then fast forward to John Coltrane's quartet, I mean, how would one discern that both of those are considered jazz music. Mm-hmm. And I just left out all kinds of things in the middle. <laughs> yeah. You know, from, sure, sure. let alone those people that are referred to as jazz singers who I don't think there is any such thing as that. But that's another story for another time. Ellis, I wanted to ask you one of the other things that John Arvish, our, our uh, host of What I Like About Jazz, asks about is just some of the trends that are happening now with the incorporation of styles like hip-hop and uh, more use of, of electronics, not even so much instruments, but just electronic sounds, live looping, and that kind of thing. What is what is your take on on incorporating those things into, into jazz music? Well, I'm not sure how to incorporate some of those things in hip-hop with jazz. Uh, I'm not even sure if the objective are the same. See, because as jazz started to evolve, Duke Ellington was using his band to express the culture that he grew out of or grew up in. So a lot of what he did had overtones of what we call classical music. Not that it sounded like European music, but the form. You see, this is very important. Form gave way to the expression of the composer's will. <laughs> yeah. And when we when we think of uh of hip hop and rap and other popular activities, most cases I don't really think about music at all because the objective doesn't appear to me to be the same, which is not a right or wrong thing about hip hop and blues and rap and whatever else. But in most cases, one of the things that I find necessary in dealing with young students and introducing them to the breadth of jazz through instruction is to recognize that the music has a history. Now, most of the popular idioms, they have a history, but it's a a rather short because the creators of it are not necessarily concerned with a history. Most times, they're concerned with a hit record. So... You know, and I'm not going to say that it's impossible for jazz to be incorporated into, or for the popular idioms to be incorporated into jazz, because basically that's what blues was, was the popular music, and singers told different stories of human interaction Mm -hmm. using the blues form. But I don't think the objective is in the mainstream of the popular idiom to be, uh, to pronounce historically 
historical value in it one way or the other.
Ellis, we've talked so deeply about music, the art of music, jazz, playing, <laughs> techniques, nuances. Uh, I wanted to ask, when you're not playing or teaching music or traveling, <laughs> which I know you still do quite a bit of, uh, to performances or, or to workshops and, and uh, educational opportunities, what are you doing for fun? I'm an armchair quarterback. Oh, you are. <laughs> are you, I'm a Saints fan. I've got the team in New Orleans. Sure, yeah. But uh, for the most part, you know, I enjoy that game. I grew up as a baseball fan, but eventually the media overtook baseball. And now younger people say, well, it's too slow for me. I was just caught up with everybody else uh, with football. Mm-hmm. And basically, that's it. So and if I'm not looking at football, if I'm looking at television at all, I'm usually looking at oh, MSNBC or sometimes the local PBS channel has uh, some artistic activity. So, so if this if this music thing doesn't work out, you could maybe be an offensive coordinator for uh, uh, for for uh, Sean Payton and the Saints. <laughs> <laughs> No, it wouldn't work too much for me because I'd, I'd be the chief imitator of uh, Donald Trump. You're fired. <laughs> You'd be fired, folks, right and left, huh? Oh, man, yep. <laughs> EllisMarsalis.com is the name of the website that you can go to to find out more about Ellis and his life and his life's work. It's a great little website. It's got, got like a little timeline that you can click on for different uh, in the bio. I love that. It was a very creative way to to do your bio. So uh, ellismarsalis.com. And uh, thank you so much for making time to uh, to speak with us by phone here on Musician Spotlight. And uh, it's, it's a real honor to have you on our program. Ellis Marsalis died on April 1st, 2020, at the age of 85. This is John Floridus. You've been listening to a special Musicians Spotlight, part of Montana Public Radio's Honor, Hope, and Healing Week. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so through the Montana Public Radio website, mtpr.org, as well as through our own website, musicianspotlight.org. You can also find us online on Facebook and on Twitter. Our program is available as a podcast from those sites as well as through iTunes and Spotify. Musicians Spotlight is a production of Montana Public Radio.